come to this communion to remember his death, burial, and resurrection. To remember the sacrifice that forgave our sins and to reconnect with you and reflect, examine ourselves and to lay down our burdens and our sins and to walk away from this moment renewed and refreshed and redirected. Guide us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. During our life, we get many gifts, and we also give many gifts. I'm curious about the gifts you've received and different gifts along the way. Some were no doubt really important to you. I remember when I was very young, one of the very first gifts that I just thought was the best Christmas gift ever was a Johnny Lightning racing track. It was kind of before the Hot Wheels racing tracks, and boy, I thought that was the greatest thing ever uh, until I figured out that if you played with them like swords and your brother hit you, it would leave a really nasty welt. That's another story. Gifts. There are a lot of gifts that we've gotten that we think, that was a great gift, and maybe some that weren't so great. I don't know. Some of you really love a, 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 a Christmas cake, a spice cake, or whatever. Not everyone's about fruit cakes. Not everyone enjoys those the same way. Uh, in our family, for a while, it seemed there was a fruit cake that got passed back and forth and never eaten year after year. I'm not so sure what I thought about that. Um, there are things like that that come around when it comes to gifts. Probably right now, you're in the middle of your own time of either getting gifts or thinking about gifts or, or receiving gifts. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about gifts and giving. Sometimes he talks about uh, financial gifts. Paul collected gifts for people in Jerusalem that were suffering under a time of famine and difficulty, and uh, he collected money to help the Christians in Jerusalem. He talked a lot about financial gifts. Uh, Paul also spoke about spiritual gifts and the importance of the proper use of spiritual gifts and what God had given them. But this morning, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the greatest gifts and I want you to read, if you would, with me and turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. And for just a few minutes, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Paul talks about uh, gifts. And in this passage, uh, he really lays out some tremendous truths about God and about us and about the world we live in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 5, verse 15. And I want you to first here, we're going to kind of... We're going to look ahead at this idea about gifts, and then we're going to go back and dive in and see exactly what this gift is he's talking about. Of the gift, he says this, the gift is not like the trespass, for if many died by the trespass of one man, that is the sin of Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So Paul's going to talk to us about this greatest gift that came through Jesus Christ. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, that is Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Now, I recognize as I read that, some people are like, huh, what? What's Paul talking about there? That's, it's interesting. It kind of makes sense, but I'm not sure I follow everything. 
When we read Romans, because Paul's making a discourse to the Romans, and he's talking to two audiences, to Jewish audiences and, and Gentile audiences, Jewish audiences who have a great sense of understanding the Old Testament and the story of creation and Adam and all of the fall of man. But to a Gentile audience who has no clue about any of that, he knows he's writing this letter to both audiences at one time. So at times we read his writing, we, we're left going, what's, what's the point? What's he trying to say here? I get that. Well, luckily in this case, Paul shows us exactly the gift he's talking about. And he does it in the preceding verses. So let's go back a few verses and let's just really take a good look at the greatest Christmas gift. Let's jump back to chapter 5, verse 1, and I want us just to go through this and, and think about this gift that Paul's described came to us through Jesus. He starts by saying this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the very first things he describes is that that we are justified. That's an interesting phrase. When we're children, we're taught justified means just as if I'd never sinned, right? That's kind of the idea that we hear when we're little kids about what that word means. But justified is an idea, a very complex idea about how God makes us right with him. Sin made us wrong with God. Justification is the work that God does to make us right with him. It has much more to do with who God is than who we are, understand that, but it's a work that God does. And he says, because God is doing this work in us, we're able to have peace with God. We're not enemies with God. We have peace with God, and this gift was given, again, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, not only are we made right with God, but through whom we have also gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So we have a sense that we're made right, but we're also given an opportunity for access to God. This is another important gift that Jesus gives us. He gives us the opportunity to enter into the throne room of grace before God and to his presence and to talk to him without a need for an intercessor or someone else between us and God. We can go straight to God. We have access to the Father through Jesus. That's a great and powerful gift. If you say God's name, he's listening. If you cry out, he hears. And Paul says, the only way that ever came to be was through Jesus. Because God loved you enough to give this gift so that you can talk with God, you can have access to God. In fact, he says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory even in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Through Jesus, God's Spirit is in us. What another great gift that he's given us. Not just that we have access to God, but that God lives in us. That we become a kind of temple in which God himself dwells through the Holy Spirit. This is the gift that he's talking about. 
It's a gift that helps us that no matter what we encounter, suffering or difficulty, that we can persevere, we can grow, and we can have hope even in the midst of difficult times because God is working in us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we think about a gift like that, we don't usually think of Christmas. We think of Veterans Day or Memorial Day. When we think about a gift of the sacrifice of a life, that's what we usually think about. People who gave their lives for our freedom. When Paul was talking to these folks in Rome, he was saying, listen, the ultimate sacrifice was for all of humanity. And the gift came at an incredible price. God himself dying on a cross in the form of Jesus Christ. It's a powerful moment. Hear this this morning as we think about the gift. God thought you were worth it. God thinks that you're worth it. You might not think that, but God thinks that. That's the gift. Even though we didn't deserve it, we probably all know we deserve something very different. But God thought you were worth saving. He thinks I'm worth saving. He thinks those people who are around us that we don't always think so highly of are worth saving. This was the gift. And it happened at just the right time. Hear those words again. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul then asked the question, so what? So what does this mean? Well, since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from his wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The gift of Jesus is an eternal gift. The work of reconciliation isn't a momentary event, it's a lifelong event. To be reconciled is to be truly brought together, and we are being brought together with God across the span of our life. An opportunity that we only have because of Jesus. You see, sin makes us an enemy 
of God, deserving of God's wrath. But the greatest Christmas gift of all time is that Jesus said, okay, they deserve a punishment and I'll take the punishment in their place. Less than a hundred years ago, the Midwest was dotted with one-room and two-room schools. In fact, if you were to go not 20 miles from this building, you could find at least three such structures still standing of old one- and two-room schoolhouses. The shells of those buildings dot the landscape of most of the Midwest. In 1961... Author and evangelist Willie Wright, Willie White, excuse me, wrote, that's hard to say, Willie White wrote. Willie, wrote, Willie White wrote about an event that took place at just such a, a school. This is what White wrote about. He said there was an old schoolhouse back in the early 1900s that had gotten a new school teacher. And when he came to the little community that he was a part of in southern Indiana, that the, um, the community was very poor. And one of the things he noted was it was very agricultural. There was a lot of dirt and dust. But this teacher who had come from the east was kind of frustrated that there were no flowers around the schoolhouse. There was nothing beautiful about it. It was drab and it was muddy and it was dark. And and it just didn't feel happy at all. It felt like the kids were going to a prison, not to a place to learn. And so he was very frustrated by that. And, and uh, he wanted to bring some beauty uh, to the schoolyard, to the schoolhouse where the kids came every day. And so this teacher, who was teaching all of the kids at the schoolhouse, he constructed a flower bed in front of the school. It was uh, very nice, kind of a little raised bed area there. And... and um, after he'd planted those flowers, the flowers started to grow, he was distraught because the kids, when they would play, would just run right through the flower bed and trample down his flowers. And so the new school teacher was frustrated. So for the first time, he had to stand in front of all of the students one day and make this announcement. And this was it. Anyone who steps foot or lays a finger or anything on any of those flowers is going to take a severe punishment, and this is it. Now, some of you will remember these old punishments, right? I'll strike your hand seven times with the ruler. That sounds really arcane today, but that's how they used to punish kids in the old days. They'd smack your hand with a ruler. And so that was the known punishment. So at the schoolhouse, all the kids knew, hey, don't, don't pick the flowers, don't touch the flowers, don't run through the flowers, or the wrath of our teacher is going to come down upon us. Well, as the spring came into its being, the flowers became very beautiful. One day, a little first grade girl reached her hand in when she saw the pretty flower and she plucked it right out of the plot. And of course, the kids saw what happened and they all went to the teacher and like, hey, she did it. Here she's got it in her hand. She plucked the flower seven strikes on the hand with the ruler. The teacher didn't really want to give this child seven strikes, but the teacher looked at her and said, do you know the rule? The kid said, yeah, I know the rule. We're not supposed to touch the flowers. That's right. Did you touch the flowers? <laughs> yeah. Well, then you know the rule. 
He got out the old principal, or the old, the old ruler, and he, he told her to hold out her hand, and he raised up the ruler, and just as he's about to bring it down on her hand the first time, another hand reached out, older, bigger. It was her brother. And her brother held out his hand, and he said, is there any rule about who has to take the seven strikes from the ruler? He said, no. And so the brother said, then I'll take her strikes. Seven times the ruler came down on the young man's hand. Far more tears came from his little sister than came from him. Because someone had taken the punishment she deserved. When Paul talks about the greatest gift, he's talking about something very real. We come... Because we live in a world of sin, we oftentimes come to think of sin as not a big deal. A little lie here or there, we think of it as not a big deal. Misdeeds or gossip or thoughts or whatever sin you want to pick from the catalog, we just, there are a few we think are big deals, but most of them we just kind of excuse them out of fashion all the time. But, but all sin is a problem. <laughs> and when we sin, it just disrupts things with God. And at the end of time, we're going to see just how big a deal sin is. But God doesn't want to bring the ruler down. That's not his chief goal. He wants us to be his creation and to love him and to be loved by him. And so he's sent away, right? And while we celebrate a baby in a manger, we know where the end of that story goes. <laughs> Jesus was a baby on a mission, God's plan, God's gift. You see, the gift's not like a trespass, so much greater than the trespass. Praise be to God. We have received God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness that came through that one man, Jesus Christ. The thing about gifts is you don't have to open them. You don't have to receive them. You can let it sit there. It's not, no one forces your hand to open the gift. And God hasn't forced our hand either. He's given us that beautiful opportunity that choice. What choice will we make with this gift this Christmas? If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let this be the day that you accept his gift of grace. You accept his gift of forgiveness. You accept his gift of justification. You accept his gift of hope. Accept his gift of love as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation.